welcome to Pop Tarts. Bim, 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 bim. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We both work at Bust Magazine in New York City. And today, we have with us in the studio. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I can barely even say it. Kembra Faller is here. Legend. Hi, Kembra. Hi, everybody. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, through her glam punk band, The Voluptuous Horror of Karen Black, feminist rock star and performance art legend, Kembra Faller has been presenting her work since the late 1980s in museums, galleries, and clubs all over the world. And on October 30th, Famed New York City venue The Kitchen will be celebrating her career with a film presentation and live performance that traces her from her beginnings through to the present day. And we're so excited to have Kembra here with us in the studio. Thank you so much for coming. Yay, thanks for having me. And congratulations (laughs) on the big show. I'm really looking forward to the 30th of um, this month. But, you know, it's weird. I don't really feel like an antiquated older more mature artists now I always feel like it's just such a privilege just to still continue and I always feel like I'm just starting now like I don't really feel like any kind of mid-career first of all I don't feel like I have a career I just feel like I, I have feel a like life. I have a career thanks <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like I have a, a, the privilege to have this life you know to be able to be here and to do this kind of work it's more of um of a life just a lifestyle yeah. I think I live in the future. What is the picture aside from Donald Trump's bloated face? This is a pale imitation. She didn't ask for zombie dad. She asked for live dad. I would swim up a river of snot to get to this kind of work. Feminists on bicycles. I would like to paint a word picture for a moment for for (laughs) our listeners who are not yet acquainted with your work. I really highly recommend you YouTube the voluptuous horror of Karen Black as soon as you possibly can. I would just like to bring you back to a young 19-year-old Emily Renz going to the original, the old Black Cat Club in Washington, D.C. Oh, great. 1994. Uh And the voluptuous horror of Karen Black was playing and I... I'm trying to remember how I knew to be there. It was definitely like the word on the street. Kembra was nude except for uh, thigh-high boots and undies and a giant humongous fright wig. And she was painted completely blue. Her teeth were blacked out and like lots of black eye makeup. And there were two lovely backup dancers assistants. One was painted red and one was painted, I want to say purple. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Samoa was there in assless white vinyl pants. <laughs> and there were so many amazing cardboard props that were all painted up. And there was like like a big contraption that ate Kembra at one point. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, like a pawn shop.
There were so many amazing, like, skits and songs <laughs> and guitar solos, and it was so loud and crunchy and naked and <laughs> exciting. I thought, like, it. have you ever felt... Like that excited feeling, like you can feel your hair growing, you know, like, <laughs> like you get like a head rush that's like so intense that it feels like you can feel all of your hair growing out of your head at the same time. Yeah. And like, I started to cry. Aww. I was so excited. I was like, I have to be an artist. I have to go to New York. Like I have to follow like this Pied Piper of awesomeness. I felt <laughs> like it was life changing. I was so incredibly Aww. enthralled with the whole experience and there were dudes around who like were like huh, huh, naked but as the <laughs> show went on like they seemed really terrified and that galvanized me even more and I was like she's scaring the metal dudes <laughs> it just reinvigorated my appreciation of art and I was afraid that I had missed the performance art heyday of New York but I was like no way. If like, this is what's coming out of New York now, like I've got to get there and I got there, but not until 2000, but That's I knew okay. that I had still, to get there. Don't you think it's still happening in a way? I mean, it, it's interesting, the intergenerational stuff that's happening now with like, even at bust with people having children and stuff, all the kids that are coming out of people my age are doing the most amazing work even you yeah. know like all sorts of strange intergenerational sort I mean it's not it's of course happily it's not exactly the same and it shouldn't be I mean Miss Vaginal Cream Davis always said younger people should come in and knock us off our pedestals mm -hmm. like you should come in with so much muscle and so much surprise that you actually are knocked off your pedestal and that was just to fill the listeners in on why we chose to do such an elaborate performance and stuff you have to remember in 94 um that was nirvana was around mm -hmm. and i mean i remember fugazi came yeah. mm -hmm. to the show in dc and we were so excited that fugazi was there and had there been other bands that were very made up and um doing theatrics we would have, in a contrarian gesture, not have done that, you know. But there weren't. It would. There it, just were it not. Needed it. It the t the spirit of the times. We needed to have that happen, and Samoa and I chose to do that as a, as a contrarian gesture, just because it wasn't happening. And what could you do when you had such amazing bands like Nirvana or Fugazi and and or Jawbreaker, or any of the amazing bands that were there, just as they were perfect power trios, they had their look down. We had to come out with something contrary. And that's why we did classic rock also. <laughs> <laughs> you toured for 10 years, right? We toured for 10 years, all through the 90s, thankfully. And then we came back to New York, and I um, started I went back into the art world and started doing art exhibits and stuff. But yeah, I I mean, that's what, you know, we didn't start the band because we wanted to be famous or we certainly weren't going to make a lot of money squashing eggs on my vagina and stuff, you know, it wasn't like popular, you know, the record company solicited us at that time and they always said, you need to be more attractive. You need to wear clothes. You need to, <laughs> you need to be have 
girl sexiness and stuff. And we, we, it was laughable. It was laughable. Tell me more about when you first came to New York. I'm so jealous of the world that you entered into when you got here. Like, tell me about that world. I know that there was, you know, basically a plague going on at that time as well. Yeah, AIDS we had. A lot of AIDSes. Yeah, when I was researching yesterday, I got into the... Because you've talked a lot about how it, the AIDS epidemic affected you because everybody was... Mm-hmm. It was everywhere. Yeah. And then I got so depressed because I got into a, a Google hole of like all the amazing people that we lost because yeah. nobody cared enough to figure out what was happening. Well, AIDS is still happening. It's still popular and it's still in the culture. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, but when people first started getting sick, you know, um, I can remember friends being in the hospital and I wasn't allowed to go into the hospital room to actually visit them because of the way I looked and because of the culture that I was from, you know, being a punk kid or something. They thought I was Satan coming into, um, the hospital room. And, you know, um, a lot of times when the, the kids, everybody started dying, they had to reconvene with families that had abandoned them in the first place, you right. know, because we all moved to New York as punk kids to start our lives over and to create a new paradigm of visibility for ourselves. I think that's why everybody still comes to New York, yeah. I think. I don't, I don't know. What was it like in the 80s performance scene that you were in at all mm. those legendary venues? There was more of an abundance of stuff, but I, I will say that... There's no lack of interesting places still. You just have to travel a little bit farther to get to them. Like, mm-hmm. just because of real estate, you can't do it all on the Lower East Side. You have to be willing to go to Bushwick. You have to be willing to go to Coney Island, to Queens. You have to be willing to go to the Midwest. You you have to go travel and really s- seek out this this flavor. Uh-huh. But it so it exists. It, I don't think it's died down. I don't think it's subsided. It just was impacted, compacted because mm-hmm. of the availability of real estate. And um, I would swim up a river of snot to get to this kind of work. I don't really. I'm, I was <laughs> I was glad that it was in my neighborhood. Yeah. But I gra- and I gravitated towards. I I was from the beach in Los Angeles and. You know, I was afraid of Los Angeles because Charles Manson came from L.A. and there was Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I'm getting out of here. This Mm -hmm. is horrible. I'm going to a normal city. (laughs) So New York. The punks can run free. Yeah. And you could take the subway. And it wasn't about glamour, really, or um, show business. And um, it still isn't. You know, I mean, there's a lot of red carpet shit happening in New York but for the most part people don't really care who you are or what you do yeah. here and I like that about New York I'm lucky that um I didn't die back then because I got into a lot of trouble with drugs and we all did because the uh-huh. Lower East Side was infested with heroin at the time and um if you saw the movie Sid and Nancy or mm-hmm. just heard about that, they used to send buckets over the tops of roofs or through windows, or you'd stick your hand through a hole in a win- in a wall to buy drugs. It was just really normal. It was normal. It's, mm-hmm. about, it's coming back around, you know. Yeah, it is coming back, except it, in a little different way. With yeah. the, with it's a little easier now because of the um, 
telephones and stuff, I noticed. It's not as You dangerous. don't have to stick your hand in the walls. Yeah. <laughs> They'll just come yeah. to your house. They just yeah. come well, on. You they just, just get a prescription now. Or right. a prescription, exactly. Yeah, drugs are a little bit different and still abundant, but um, they just were more visible on the street back then, you know. So the neighborhood was really dangerous, and it really sifted out a lot of people like a lot of white people wouldn't come to the Lower East Side because mm-hmm. it was too dangerous but did did you all miss something by not being alive in the 80s or the 90s I think it's or the 70s whenever I was I was I got to be in New York in an interesting time but it's all of our jobs now no matter how small or big our communities are to make this time the most interesting time mm-hmm. it has to be it has to be. we have to fight for it we have to fight for this time to be as more intelligent, more fierce, um, more bubblicious and provocative and feminist and everything, you know, it's or else why stay here, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of interesting things going on. I'm glad busts still exist. A lot of magazines don't exist anymore, right? right? They're We're hanging they... on somehow, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. So it was a lot more dangerous. Drugs were different. Um, There was a lot more punk kids just in the Lower East Side. We had the hardcore community Uh because CBGB still was open Mm -hmm. and we had hardcore shows. (laughs) We had the hardcore matinee and that was fun too. Um, CBGB's was a great like high school college for me because Hilly Crystal was there mm-hmm. and Hilly was actually sitting there every day and one of um um the and then the Yippie building was across the way so right. these really historical places existed the living theater was there over on um 3rd 4th street 4th street I think the right. Uranian Phalanstery which was a temple that's now defunct. We always we all used to go there. That was an actual religious movement, an uncultish religious movement, the Uranian philanthropy. Um, so yeah, I, I I really did get to encounter. I encountered a lot of extreme characters and really talented artists in the eighties that made me who I am today. They they established. They helped me establish my ethic. And my sense of morality, which is tiny, but I have, <laughs> I have some. As part of your art, you have really put your body on the line. Mm-hmm. You mentioned before about the eggs. You cracked eggs full of paint on your vulva. There was the famous Richard Kern short film where your vagina was sewn shut by another artist. Mm. You strapped bowling balls to your feet. What is it about your body, your naked body, your genitals that makes you serve them up to your audience in this way. How do you see your body as the medium of your expression? Well, gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I talk about this thing called availabism, making the best Mm -hmm. use of what's available. And I always thought that my body was available to me as a tool when I didn't have, when I would be sitting in my apartments on Avenue D in 1980 without a single piece of furniture or a plate or a piece of paper. And I had myself to work with. And that's like an early paradigm or example of how people did performance. You used your body. 
from where I come from in Los Angeles, growing up on the beach, um, your body is really scrutinized. Mm. And um, I always really resented being objectified. And I always wanted to kind of have a new, different sort of visibility for what I perceived to be um, a beautiful woman. And that was actually this idea of like, a horrific lady um someone that came out with a little more muscle and bite than just like a a regular nude lady which is also beautiful to me too I love looking at playboy and all those stupid magazines um the wall of vagina in particular came from when I was on tour I was looking at penthouse magazine Mm -hmm. and there was a whole stack of like eight ladies on top of each other with their legs open, looking like hamburger meat. And I remember sitting there with my bass player, and we, I, he was like, what is that? And I thought to myself, I'm doing that, <laughs> but with Girls of Karen Black. And I wanted to do that piece with, like, um, a yeast infection, like mm-hmm. squirting plain yogurt through the cracks of our butts and stuff just because I wanted it to be a real gross out. Mm-hmm. But that gross out feeling to me always is driven by a beauty aesthetic. Like to me, these things are really beautiful. Yeah. And I wanted to create a different visibility of what was a pretty lady just because it got so tired being always ostracized by the people around me, dye your hair blonde and lose weight and you'll be on TV. That's what Mm. they'd say to me. If you would only didn't have such a funny looking mouth, you'd be a TV star or something. And I was like, that's I'm not feeling that um and you know the the human female body is not just about serving up sex um it serves when it's naked you know the 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 naked body examined is a great work of art and um all shapes all forms um and um so I just wanted to serve up something that was kind of a little bit different and I'm almost 60 now, and I'm still naked a lot. And when I was just in um, Denmark, all these kids came to my show, and they were like, you know, people that are your age don't really get naked a lot. And I was like, yeah, I'm not stopping. Because <laughs> it's sort of interesting what happens to your body, too, when you're getting older. You change a lot. It's kind of cool, you know. I wonder what it'll all look like when I'm 100 if I get to live that long. But... So it's just like a study. It's a study in a way. And it really cured me of my self-hatred to... to I'm sorry I'm talking so much. Um, I'm, I, have, I have a problem with the short answer. We're here to listen uh, to yeah, you we're talk. we're here for this. <laughs> but, you know, I hated myself so much growing up in Los Angeles. And I really had to sort of just def- find a way to, to not hate myself so much. And that was by way of complete transformation and um, drag does that too for a yeah. lot of people, being a drag artist, going in drag. The only difference with me in drag is that I don't feel that the voluptuous horror of Karen Black is a character or a different person than I am. It's just me yeah, in costume. So I, I'm not really like a performance character. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a great survival tool i don't i can't imagine what i would have done to myself had um i not 
you know, met Samoa, for example. Samoa taught me a lot about no theater and um, Buteau and all these different kinds of theater. We're seeing people like Ethel Eichelberger that did a lot of, um, you know, costuming and um, seeing Jack Smith stuff, too. He did a lot of costumes. So, you know, I looked around me and I thought, I'm going to have to come up with something really good if I'm going to get people to look at this work, you know. And I knew that if I, like, I always say this in articles, like, I thought if if I dressed up like Lydia Lunch or if I copied someone, another artist around me, they would beat me up. (laughs) Like, you just didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You You did not copy. You you. didn't copy (laughs) others. It was, it was that, I guess that was part of my ethic, which was to come up with, um, I guess I like the idea of trying to be original. Well, you, you mentioned that, you know, you've been doing this work with your naked body for almost 40 years. Has your relationship to your body as a, a deli- delivery method for your message, as a delivery method for your work changed over the years? Um, yeah, it has actually. I remember at one point, you know, when I was doing stuff at like the Whitney Biennial and doing things in the museum world, I I didn't take my clothes off. I refused to be all nude uh-huh. because um, I felt like people expected it. Mm-hmm. And I really like doing that kind of work just because I feel like it, not because I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. So when I had this sort of strange careery pressure to, you know, do what was expected of me, I, I never did it. So mm-hmm. there was a period of time when I was going in museums a lot and I just would like do the opposite of what I was supposed to um and then I think I turned 50 like a decade ago or almost a decade ago and I remember when I turned 50 I I just thought I I don't feel like wearing bottoms right now and then (laughs) a lot of the girls in the band like Alice Moy and a lot of the old-time girls of Karen Black they're just like yeah these bottoms are really uncomfortable we look so much better without them. So it just really had to do with our will and yeah. our desire. It didn't have anything to do with what we were supposed to do. So in that respect, I can say we've adhered to our um, idea of being true to ourselves and not falling into kind of career pressure. Um, I think careers can really spoil art, you know, mm-hmm. in a way, having a having um you end up impersonating yourself yeah Yeah, gimmicky gimmicky i mean i love a gimmick like i love that movie um with gypsy about gypsy rose lee you know that that film gotta get a gimmick Uh i you know my gimmick was just sewing my vagina shut and doing the egg performance so i just developed kind of gross gimmicks but the gimmick is a little tongue-in-cheek for me but impersonating oneself would be sort of like just doing that one thing you know is a greatest hit and not mm-hmm. experimenting at all. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, now, and I've always done a lot of really dumb stuff or bad work, and you realize it's not dumb or bad, it's just that you're experimenting and you have to go through sort of uncomfortable or awkward times in order to get to work that makes sense you know mm-hmm. yeah and that's always fun to see too I a friend of mine who is a lot smarter than me told me that that was called 
liminality oh. <laughs> or being in a liminal phase. Liminal state, yeah, in betweensies. In betweensies process. And I never thought that process was important, but it is. So if you're out there and you're doing really shitty work and you're still doing it, congratulations. <laughs> I hope you continue. You're liminal as fuck. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you mentioned, do you call it availability? Availability, making the best use of what's available. And this is an artistic ethos that you created. Would mm. you say that that applies to all of your work over the last 40 years? When did availability become your trademark and how has it manifested itself in your work? Well, it's funny because I used to think that availability was just about lack of commerce and you were you would have to to kind of recycle and reuse or find objects in other places, but I've I've had the same sort of availability experience even when I had an abundance of monies to spend too, huh. you know. Mm -hmm. Availability to me is more about being present for fun synchronicities that happen and you don't need to have money for that, you just need to be aware and awake because mm -hmm. you have to be paying attention to synchronicities and stuff. Well, and what does that mean? That all that means is you know, your your eyes are open. And you're looking around and trying to see what's coming your way. You know, I mean, I think in some, that's a very pedestrian way of describing why we're all here in the first place yeah. in New York and not in our rooms in Costa Mesa or something. Mm -hmm. No offense, Costa Mesa. <laughs> <laughs> so does that make sense at all? Totally. Yes. Okay. Completely. Uh, you know, it might sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I don't really. I believe you. I believe you know what you're talking about. I do, actually, kind of. <laughs> I do. I think everyone has their own availabism. Do you have yours, like an ethos that you follow? I mean, I, I'm i not a performer. I'm a writer. Okay. But I would definitely, you know, I'm, I'm constantly mining my life, the lives of others, like the mm. lives of people that I'm imagining what their lives are on the subway. Let's talk feminism. Mm -hmm. Have... How, when did you start thinking of yourself as a feminist? Have you, when did you start thinking of your work as feminist? I know that you were part of a big feminist group art show last year. Mm -hmm. um, how did that identity come about and how do you deal with any backlash against that identity? Um, the backlash um, about being the sort of feminist that I am has been painful because um, Lorraine O'Grady, one of my teachers that I had at SVA, um, a great artist, she she was um, in our last Future Feminist show at the whole gallery and she said to us that there's room for all sorts of feminists, mm -hmm. um, all different kinds of feminist factions, there's mm -hmm. room for all of us. And the reason we came out with Future Feminism was we wanted to have a discussion about um, ecology again, about the world, the the health of the world itself, because we felt that unless we addressed um, the harm we were doing to the actual planet, then we wouldn't have a place to argue about the personal aspects of feminism. Mm -hmm. Like We wouldn't have to be talking about getting abortions because there'd be no place to have an abortion clinic. Right. Yeah. Like that we were in some ways, and I still feel like this on 
such a um, trajectory that we we are doing irreparable harm to where we actually live. That we're not going to have a feminist to, feminism to practice. And future feminism was this desire to actually just get people talking and identifying outwardly as feminists again, because um, there was so many. Um, there's been generations of people um, that exist that find it unnecessary or found it unnecessary to identify as a feminist because they, I I always thought because they felt like it would affect their pocketbook or their mm-hmm. earnings or their status in the community if they identified as a feminist. And um, so we wanted to, to get that on the lips of people, like coming out of the mouths of, of everyone, men, women, children, everyone. Um, and it, it was, it worked, you know, I mean, when we did future feminism, when Anoni and Johanna Constantine and Coco Rosie and I did future feminism, that was before that t-shirt came out that said the future is female. Mm-hmm. Those girls that came to our, they came to our show and, they saw the entire community sitting there talking about feminism in a different way that was coming out of strange elderly death metal <laughs> people. <laughs> we we just needed to stand up and, and really um, sig- signify and, and represent um, feminism. And uh, again, we needed, we wanted to get it just in, into the consciousness of, the world and I think you know if I think back as to what the world was like before Anoni's film called Turning people were not talking about trans people before Turning the trans movement wasn't like on HBO or they didn't on Netflix there weren't TV shows called Transparent Anoni's film um, Turning Anoni and Charlie Atlas's film Turning really um, really inserted itself into the culture in a much different way mm-hmm. where we would regard trans people and think of them as as teachers and sisters and just or brothers just to 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 think about that in a different way you know um and so i think that future feminism hopefully did that a little bit and made feminism um again as sometimes it was in the 60s, a larger topic of conversation because it was um, rebelling against the 50s, right? Mm -hmm. Like our moms, I know my mom had a different flavor of feminism, Mm -hmm. right? And then all of a sudden in the 70s and 80s, aside from Kathleen Hanna and the Washington women, Washington state women, people thought it was really uncool to Mm -hmm. be a feminist, yeah. Even though we had Kathleen, who is the coolest of cool people ever, right? <laughs> um, as one of our great leaders, um, shouting and crying and screaming about the necessity to eradicate misogyny, and the unfortunate thing about two thousand and fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, the time we live in, is that we're it's more misogynist than ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's still misogynist, even though we have more popularity and there's commerce, there's money being made off of feminism because of a slogan t-shirt, because of television shows. 
the devaluation and the misogyny of women globally is more rampant than ever. Same with racism and classicism. Don't you think? Yeah, well, this, this most recent election just brought it into such sharp focus. It's hard for us to cope sometimes, I think. Is there... Yeah, totally. has Has the political atmosphere affected you as an artist? Do you find yourself identifying as an activist as well as an artist? Shoot. Uh, I think we're all activists if we're showing up, you know? Uh, if we're showing up and not acting out and just being absolute pigs and slobs and buying shit all day, then if we're participating in a conversation, we're moving towards activating, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, look how Occupy Wall Street started. It was like a couple of people sleeping down there and then it was just contagious. It was contagious. So hopefully our despair will be motivating us towards um, activating more, you know? Um, There's no other way to be. I mean, shame on you if, if you're not recognizing misogyny and racism and the horrible hatefulness of of humanity you know it's just there's no reason why misogyny should still be so abundant and it is and i don't believe in equality (laughs) and i'm not a female suprematist but i a lot of times with feminism people say we just want to be equal we just want to be equal we want to be 50 50 we just want to I don't want the same things that men want. I want the things that I want. <laughs> and What do you want? Um, I want to change the world one show or one poem or one picture or one radio show at a, at a time. I want to change the world completely. Um, so if there was a light switch that was like an on or off switch, I just want to flip the switch. Because it doesn't, things don't seem to really be working, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of harm being done to everything. I live in Hawaii a lot, and um, in Hawaii, a lot of the reefs are dead, and yes. a lot of the fish are gone. It smells like death there. A lot of the waterfalls don't flow anymore, and I really love it here. I really love this earth, this yeah. world. Um, I know that I, when I die, I'm not going to a better place. This is the better place right here and now. So um, I don't know if that answers your question in a precise sense. But um, yeah, it just, just seems like things need to be changed in order for us to continue. What mm-hmm. do you think? Is that... I absolutely agree. I don't mean to sound drastic or negative. It feels like a drastic time, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I think Hell that yeah, it is. Are... Trump is our president. It's, couldn't feel more drastic to me. The last couple You're days right. have been brutal for me. The, the Me Too, I almost can't get on the internet. I have migraines every day because it's so... And it's yeah. infuriating when people just don't even understand the message that you're trying to say because they don't want to be like on the receiving end and admit that they're part of a problem. Right. They want to be, oh, it's everybody else's is wrong, but you could be part of the solution if you just admitted that you're also part of the problem. Yeah, I think I, I mean, I know that I'm part of problems. I'm complicit in many harmful things that happen every day just by me going to my deli 
and um, buying, you know, Diet Coke and smoking a pack of Marlboros a day. I'm complicit in a lot of the problems. Mm -hmm. And at least being aware that you're doing something that is part of the problem is part of the getting towards the change. Like, I know I could stop using... I don't always carry a reusable coffee cup, but uh-huh. when I get a coffee in the morning, I'm like, why don't I have the coffee cup? But at least I'm aware of what I can be doing to be better to the, in that situation instead of not even paying attention. It's weird if you start to pay attention to how large your footprint is with the, um, creating refuse and stuff and what actually is reusable. Like I was in Aarhus, Denmark recently, and they had this place called the Giveaway Center And you wouldn't believe the things that everyone was giving away. Like, no one threw anything away there. And they had the most beautiful, like, Danish modern furniture and and, um, housewares and clothes and children's toys that they were giving away. And everything was really nice. And Denmark is a socialist country. And that was the first time I'd ever really lived in a socialist atmosphere, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. And you saw how, man, this stuff really works. Look at this reuse center, reusable center. We just did a show in Aarhus, Denmark, which was the cultural capital of Europe. And it was part of Northern Europe. Denmark is Northern Europe. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different than the other part of Europe, you know, that we're England or whatever. And it's socialist, right? Like Sweden, we met the head of the Swedish feminist party, Victoria Cabeza. And she came and did a talk for us. And I was going to invite, we were going to invite a lot of other artists to come to um, Aarhus, Denmark. But we instead, we just invited the community. So everybody from Aarhus just came. Huh. And we turned them into the focus of the show. And that was hot. That sounds That awesome. was a good time. It was a really intense time. Um, I'd never heard of Aarhus. Do you know that place, Denmark? No. I'm not very European. I'm from Los Angeles. So Europe to me is just all about fascism, Hitler, Mussolini, (laughs) World War II. But there's more. There is. There is. I mean, um, and I never was the type of artist that went to Europe to be more popular. Mm -hmm. I always was offended by that. (laughs) Like, why would you like me more? Because I'm here. I'm, you know, they treat New Yorkers a little differently. And Uh you realize everyone emulates New York. It's like in Italy, they try to dress up like people from Marcy Avenue in Brooklyn. Right. (laughs) It's amazing. It's weird. I always say cat like Cali is our our soothsayer for everything that's going to be popular. Like we, Cali is the the secret weapon of bus. She she lives in Brooklyn. (laughs) She knows everything that the rest of the world is going to want a year from when Cali wants it. Yeah, it's old hat to me whenever whenever (laughs) people can finally get their hands on it. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Where in Brooklyn are you? Oh, Bed-Stuy now. Mm Bed-Stuy. Bed-Stuy's hot. Yeah, I've been there a a couple of years. Do you have a house out there? I live in this warehouse art space called the Chicken Hut, which is like a bunch of art bike kids. So they build like tall bikes. You're kidding me. Yeah. That's amazing. We've got the the big event that we do every year is Bike Kill, which is like, Mm -hmm. it's basically like the art kids Christmas, you know, like there's tall bikes, there's bikes that are like two giant wheels with a swing in the middle. No. There's bikes where you turn this way, but it goes the other way. Well, that was a really nice thing about having a boyfriend that was a bike messenger because my ex-boyfriend taught me how to ride a fixed gear bike and I got so strong riding my bike. 
I ride a really heavy beach cruiser, but that's because I really like the seat. I like to feel like I'm on a recliner, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and you can like, you can go over anything on a beach cruiser because the tires are massive. I like beach cruiser too. Bicycles are really, um, really the future, you know, because feminism and bicycles, (laughs) feminists Feminists on on bicycles. bicycles. Mm. <laughs> I feel a parade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need to have some parades. We we need more parades. I love a parade. I do too. Well, I don't really, but I, I wouldn't mind a, an angry parade. As much like creativity and artistry that we can put into the resistance, the better. Because we're just like so angry and we need to channel it into something beautiful. We need to make our rage more beautiful. That's, That's very, a good idea. That's true. I want to, um, you know, you can you can rent the stairs of City Hall oh. to make a speech, right? Really? So down down at the down there mm-hmm. in the world, wherever you know what I'm talking about, where all those the government buildings are. Yeah. Um, you can rent, you know, or sign up to talk about your 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 um, your platform right and they give you space to come with your your plaques with your signs with your song or whatever and i really want to um make a karen black performance there oh that my would gosh, be amazing. That amazing a lot of girls of karen black i've been wanting to do that for a while so I you can to... have a parade of feminists on bikes leading yes. you to the steps of city hall i'm here for this plan <laughs> i'd love to go to washington as well i need to get back on that um I've been busy because I was in Europe for so long this summer. I need to remember to do those actions. Um, I agree that that our activating has to be aesthetic too because you also remember things, you know, in a a much stronger way. Like just all the activating that, that, that time that the woman shoved a flower down the the mouth of the gun or Mm -hmm. the first image that you see of the naked person running through Vietnam were all the pictures of the people that were burned in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. These images and pictures really stay with us. And what what is the picture aside from Donald Trump's bloated face? What are we seeing now? Right. I mean, so I agree with you. We have to insert that by any means necessary. Let's do it. Okay. (laughs) Revolution. Thank you so much for coming. We're so excited to have you here with us. We're going to take a tiny break. And when we come back, what? Where is the show at? Okay. So the (laughs) reason that I came over here today, and I'm sorry I'm so late today, was because um, Bradford Nordine from Dirty Looks um, organized a, a film presentation for me. Um, and encouraged me to make a new film at the kitchen on the 30th. So that's what I'm going to do. It's the 30th um, at the kitchen, <clears throat> which is 19th Street in New York City. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to ask Canberra, and we're going to ask each other, what, what you watching? This episode of Pop-Tarts was produced in the Listening Booth. Check out this sneak peek of their shows and then head to listeningboothmedia.com to find out more about each one. I'm Terrence Mickey, the creator and host of Memory Motel, a podcast that finds the drama and what we desperately want to remember or would rather forget. 
In season one, I explored such light topics as the different ways we remember the dead. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi, my name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay, I'm a big procrastinator, but I'm going to die at some point, so I just want to be prepared. And to get to the bottom of Stockholm Syndrome, I returned to the bank robbery where the first person was diagnosed with it. I always felt that I did something wrong. After almost 50 years, I felt, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. And... I followed a message in a bottle. He starts talking to me about a bottle with a message in it, and he says, Turks and Caicos. I'm like, and I'm, you know, I'm real expressive. You can't see me, but like I make a lot of faces. And I look at my cousin and I real quizzically and I go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So I says, hold on a second. I put the phone down. I'm like, what? What? And I go back on the phone. I go, okay, excuse me. What's a Turks and Caicos? I had no idea. To see where your memories take me next, please subscribe to Memory Motel wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to share your memories, please reach out to me directly on Twitter at Terrence underscore Mickey or at Memory Motel. For updates on season two, visit our website, memorymotel.audio. And we're back. And because we like to lead off with guests first, okay. I want to ask Kembra, what is it you are watching? And when I say watching, I mean books, TV, movies, music, podcasts. What is going into your eyes and ears and turning you on these days? Um, I am watching um, Asia Argento movies. Nice. Um, I just watched The Scarlet Diva mm-hmm. um, in light of... Um, all of the Harvey Weinstein political abominations and didn't she stage her interaction with Harvey in that movie? Yeah, she did the Scarlet Diva, and she she's been making movies since she was like nine years old or ten years old, wow. and so I've been watching. She also directed a movie, Misunderstood, that was a little bit about her childhood. But she's an artist that I love, so I've been um, watching. Dario Argento films and Asia Argento films. That's what I've been watching. Generational. Yeah. <laughs> Callie. Yes. What you watching? A lot of horror because it's the season and also it's that's all season. I watch pretty much. <laughs> but um, so I made you watch Tragedy Girls. I watched Tragedy Girls. These two girls, they you, they want to be like Twitter famous so and they're trying to follow the serial killer. <laughs> and then they end up kidnapping the serial killer just so that they can try to, to figure out how, how he does it because they want to start killing people so that they can get the leads on the murders. <laughs> Sometimes I just feel like nothing I do matters. Like I'm not special. We only got one retweet today from your mom. Sad. And I thought it was hilarious. You did not like it though. I watched it because you watched it and you told me that you loved it and I <laughs> value your opinion very much but I feel like the and I'm not going to 
throw shade because it was written and directed by men, but maybe a little bit like the dudes were obviously super turned on by Heather's and they wanted to make Heather's, but they couldn't make Heather's. <laughs> and it's really a shame because watching that movie, I was like, I think I'm just going to watch Heather's because this is a pale imitation. Uh, <laughs> that was my opinion. so good. You know I go for the blood spray. There was a lot of blood, There's blood, no blood spray. There's no blood spray in I Heathers. give you that. No, yeah, there was, there was a, a scene in a wood shop that was very gory. And mm-hmm. I was like, I bet this is why Callie likes this movie. There is blood <laughs> everywhere. And also I think it's interesting how they're using tech. Because like we were talking about, what was it? Oh, the Abu Plaza movie, Angry Goes West. Yeah, That was like Instagram-led. The Instagram horror film. And then um, I had just watched that show... Uh, the this American um, vandal, and oh, that American was all vandal with the dicks on the cars. Yeah, the dicks on the cars, but that was all like shot like as the kids were taking video at, at a house party on their iPhone was mm-hmm. a big lead in it. And so this was all Twitter based, and like they want to be text famous. You know, they're using the Twitter to be famous, and that's what is leading the murders. Right. I just thought that was interesting because that's why people want to kill now is because they want people to follow them on the because they want to be internet famous. <laughs> yeah. I get that. I get that. I and I love female-driven horror, absolutely. It just didn't, the writing didn't do it for me. That's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> but I also saw this other movie, which you probably wouldn't like. The Babysitter it was another horror. It just came out, it was on Netflix. The woman has amazing hair. So basically I got hair hypnotized the whole time. <laughs> so maybe not hair, as but Hair yeah. hypnotized? Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's like a babysitter that ends up in, that she's secretly in a cult. Like a satanic nice. cult, and so the kid tries to stay up because he thinks that he's gonna, she's gonna be having sex with her boyfriend, but really they're sacrificing people <laughs> in the kid's house. Yeah, yeah. It was How awesome. rude! <laughs> then when I was looking up the girl, the actress, the lead actress with the great hair, I realized she's gonna be in a. There's a mini series coming made out of um, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Do you remember? That? Do you know that movie? Peter Ware. So, I, love, I love Peter Ware. I can't imagine how they're going to match up to the beauty of the original. Mm-hmm. I have, I just can't imagine. Bust Magazine once did a whole fashion story based on Picnic at Hanging mm-hmm. Rock. It wow. was really Whoa. something. So that Whoa. they're doing a, a series, a miniseries, and um, it also has Natalie Dormer in it from Game of Thrones. Right. So I feel like I'm going to watch it. I don't know how it can be nearly as good, but I'm still there for that. Then I saw this um, movie, Cherry Tree, which was about witches. And, you know, I watch anything with a witch. Um, <laughs> and in it, this girl, she's having, she's a virgin and she's having sex for the first time. And a centipede crawls in her vagina. And immediately I was like, if you hadn't had sex before and a centipede's crawling in your vagina, you would probably just think that's what it feels like. <laughs> you wouldn't know the difference. You wouldn't know the difference. Like, <laughs> that is crazy. Um, and basically she's like does this ritual to try to save her dad because he's dying. But then they just fucking make her kill her dad and he comes back as a zombie. And I'm like, she didn't ask for zombie dad. She asked for live dad. That yeah, is, careful she, what you wish for. She totally got fucked in that. And literally fucked by a centipede. And, oh yeah, and then I saw the Broad City where they were in the mushrooms. Uh-huh. I, I love, love that, that animation. <laughs> Do you watch Broad City, Kimbra? Um, No, what is that? It's a show on Comedy Central where there's these two like very overtly feminist friends like yeah. running around New York doing crazy shit. No, I, I didn't see Broad City. I haven't seen it. Comedy confuses me. Mm. Comedy that's like supposed to be funny is never funny to me. Just comedy 
it, things are funny to me that aren't supposed to be. Like The Exorcist was very funny to me. <laughs> the Exorcist was funny though, wasn't it? And Jaws, but I have a an education like Jeff Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> so I feel like I'm a little slow. I never understand comedy. <laughs> well, it's good to know what you what you don't get. Like I do not like a rom com. I'm never here for a rom com. I'm always like, well, we we. We have a movie we were going to talk about later, but Emily was like, it was so sad. And I was like, when, when was I supposed to be sad? Everything turned out fine. <laughs> was like, totally the opposite reaction as most people. And it's supposed to be like an emotional roller coaster movie. <laughs> what are you watching, Emily? I'm so glad you asked. I've been watching a few things. Sarah Silverman has a new political show on Hulu called I Love You, America. How is Have it? Have you seen it yet? Not yet. Dude, I thought it was so funny. Like, the first thing she did was, she was like, I'm on Hulu. I'm not on network television. They told me I could do whatever I wanted. So I put naked people in the front row. And she had, like, a man and a woman naked in the front row. And they just kept, like, zooming in <laughs> on his cock and balls, like, just to be like, I want to see if they mean it, that I can do what I want. Um, and she had um, a man just like a man in a suit at a desk to be like, I know that this is like freaky that a woman is hosting a late night chat show. So if you ever get really like, if I get too out there for you, we'll just cut to the man at the desk to make you more comfortable because we know (laughs) that's what you're used to. And so they would just periodically cut to this man who had like absolutely nothing to say, just sitting there like with a bunch of cards, drumming them on the desk, like, yeah, Hey. (laughs) Um, And then she went, um, to Louisiana to talk to a whole family of Trump supporters in Louisiana. And like, she just, they had like a very open, friendly dialogue that wasn't full of vitriol and hatred. Oh, and it was funny because she was like, they've never met a Jew before. So she was like, I'll introduce them to their first Jewish person and they can tell me why they voted for Donald Trump. And it was like very warm and funny and, um, you know, like they obviously disagreed, but it wasn't in a horrific way. I Sa- hope that her show. Sarah lasts. Silverman's really funny to me. She's someone whose comedy I think is very funny, actually. So there is someone that I like. <laughs> I like. I like Sarah a lot. I'm so glad that she has a show. I hope they. She had a lot of shows. Remember the Sarah Silverman program? I love yeah, that with her yeah. dog and her sister mm-hmm. was on it. Her little dog She's is so cute. really ahead of her time. I agree, and she is on. The cover of Bust Magazine on Stands Now. Yes. Go get it. Wow. She's on it. (laughs) And um, there's a show on Amazon called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, I saw that. Oh, my God. The pilot is just on there now. The rest of the series is going to come out, I believe, in December. And it was written and produced by Amy Sherman Palladino, who made Gilmore Girls, which was so very, very, very popular. And it has the same, like, fast back and forth banter. Part of me wonders if it's at all based on uh, Phyllis Diller, one of my idols, because Phyllis Diller was, you know, one of the first stand-up comedians in the early 1960s down in, in Greenwich Village, which is where this is happening, where this show is set. And it's about a woman who's a housewife who becomes a stand-up comedian. And Phyllis Diller's comedy was about being a housewife and was very feminist and ahead of its time. And so I'm excited for this show. There are so many questions spinning around in my head. Why did he leave? Why wasn't I enough? 
And why didn't they put the stage over there against that wall instead of over here by the bathroom so you wouldn't have to listen to every giant bowel movement that takes place in there? Oh yeah, clear as a bell. Just the pilot is on Amazon now. Anybody can watch it. You don't have to be a Prime member. I was thinking you were talking about that movie that just came out. I think I mentioned to you that I saw it. Um, about the trans rights activist that mm-hmm. got killed. Marsha P. Johnson. Oh, now that is a must watch. That was amazing. There's a lot of controversy that the filmmaker stole the research from a female filmmaker. And the male filmmaker then took her research and made it himself. So Yeah, that... we talked about this at the office, but I think that's a tough call because there's many different ways to tell one person's story. You can still make a different... This was more about why nobody cared about the murder to me. Right. And the other person's was about this person in specific. And this was more about the story of like these two activists and the woman um, that was her friend telling the story. And I feel like the re- most of the story came from that person that was her friend. Mm-hmm. So I think that's debatable. I think there's plenty of room to tell that woman's, that woman's story in more than one way. Canberra, did the things that we are watching remind you of anything else that you happen to be watching? Um, well, gosh, I'm just so glad it, that everyone's watching so many movies and TV because I don't feel so guilty about my... <laughs> I mean, I stay up. I watch um, films all night long until the morning, you know? Yeah, I'll get on a bender. <laughs> yeah. Um, you talked about Marsha B. Johnson, and I also um, really loved Marsha B. Johnson, and Marsha B. Johnson is a great... Um, mother figure to um Antony and the Johnsons uh-huh. um and um I had a hard time watching that film actually just because of um similarly to how like you're talking about the conspiracy conspiracy behind like how who's making it and why mm-hmm. there's a lot of controversy around certain subjects that are very dear to my heart like the um, Pedro Aldemovar, um, before night falls, uh-huh. had been bought by a neighbor of mine who went to Cuba for long before Julian Schnabel bought the project. And it's complicated the way people get their hands on this mm-hmm. yeah. kind of like subject matter. Yeah. And um, so I, I feel I feel like uh, I was a little bit cautious to watch the Marsha P. Johnson movie just simply because lately feminism, trans people, they're big money. Mm-hmm. It wasn't big money a couple of years ago, you know, right. so you have everybody coming out of the closet to try to grab this subject matter just because it's hot. Right. And so that can be kind of troublesome to me. Sometimes I'm a little cautious of that. But all the movies that you guys are watching were inspiring. I wrote them all down. <laughs> oh, cool. I wrote them all down because I love um, watching new movies and stuff. I love it. Well, thank you again so much for coming. Thanks for having me. This was so a, much for coming. I love I your. I can't wait for your show. What is the um, name of the? What What are you reading? Is that your? What uh, you watching? What you watching? Yeah, what you watching's hot. <laughs> it's what's on the street. I I wrote everything down. I'm really that excited. Is <laughs> I would also like to thank our producer Rachel Withers, Woo! the greatest producer of all. <laughs> That's you, Rachel. Our pal at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey, in whose guest room we are now residing. And our Girl Gang at Bust magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Renz. 
You can email us both. I'm at emilyrams at bust.com. I'm at calliew at bust.com. You can find more about Bust by visiting us at bust.com. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. You know you want us to be famous, and we never will be unless we get those stars and those reviews. They make such a big difference, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time, mwah!